0: I think that it makes her life and what happened to her in England make a lot more sense, but they didn't really investigate how serious the situation was. And that is, was the ultimate reason for the annulment was this war and avoiding war with the emperor and trying to keep England safe. And it just, it's, it's always been in front of us. Just nobody really looked at it.
1: Hello and welcome to the British History Channel. My name is Philippa, and I recently had the pleasure of chatting with Heather Darcy, author of a breakthrough biography on Henry VIII's fourth wife, Anne of Cleves, entitled *Anna, Duchess of Cleves: The King's Beloved Sister*. Heather has been able to look at Anna's story and that of her failed marriage to England's Henry VIII in a different and all the more revealing context, explaining in a much more convincing way the reasons behind the failed marriage. You'll get a taste of that chat in this short extract and if you enjoy it and want to see more you will find the link to the full interview at the end of this video and in the show notes. I hope you enjoy. I think all too often the English-centric, British-centric telling of our history has ignored it's ignored more of the infidence that's on the continent. I don't think that's I think that's just a naivety as well. The the story seems to be done and dusted and so it gets repeated and repeated. And what you've done is go, well, hang on, let me just go and have a look (laughs) at at it from another perspective. And it sheds so much light and it makes so much more sense of um, some of the questions actually that are debated, like, is Anna really that ugly what, you know is would you really divorce someone based on them not recognizing you when they'd never seen you before, which was I thought was always very odd those kind of things so so thank you so much for doing this chat with us today because I think people will find this incredibly interesting, insightful, and enlightening in talking about um Anne of Cleves, but we're going to refer to her as as anna um because that is also, that's what you call her as well. So I'm going to let you take over because you have this uh, talk about, about Anna that you do. So I'm going to let you do that. And then we'll have a bit of a chat around questions and anything that I can, well, I'm sure I'm going to want to ask a lot. So (laughs) Absolutely. And as always, my darling
0: birds are very sad that they're not fully participating in the podcast. You might hear them (laughs) chirping in the background. (laughs) It sounds pretty. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me today. This is the cover of my current book, Anna, Duchess of Cleves, The King's Beloved Sister. And I just love having this image of her on the cover. It was presumed lost, or at least its whereabouts unknown until I was, saying lost is probably a little bit extreme. It's been in a museum in Philadelphia since the 1930s. There were two brothers, the Rosenbach brothers. One was an art dealer and the other one dealt with rare books. And the art dealer purchased this portrait of Anna, I think in 1939, before World War II, and he purchased it in London and he never sold it because he just loved this portrait so much. And it had been sitting in a back hallway in this museum since then so effectively when the Rosenbach brothers died it's my understanding that they donated their two brownstones in Philadelphia which are right next to each other to the city and so they're able to create this museum so this portrait it's not normally on display but that's where it's been lurking and I was just absolutely just ecstatic to go find it and go see it and be able to use it on my cover so this is a portrait of Anna I think from around 1538 so pre-Henry wonderful And one thing I like to point out, which I'll probably point out later too, is she has this really intricately um, embroidered hat. And when she officially meets Henry, she's described as wearing a hat embroidered with pearls. And I kind of wonder if it might be that hat. Henry VIII is looking for a wife and Thomas Cromwell thinks, well, I know that the Fondamachs are allied with the elector of Saxony through the eldest daughter, Zabilla and the elector of Saxony, was very, very pro-Lutheran. And keep in mind that at this time, if you're pro-Lutheran, you're anti-emperor, whereas if you're pro-Catholic, you're pro-emperor. And the elector of Saxony had created what's called the Schmalkaldic or the Protestant League, which was a defensive league against the emperor. And Cromwell thought that that would be a good counterbalance because if Henry marries one of the daughters of Cleves, then he can perhaps become eligible, eligible to become a member of the Schmalkaldic or Protestant League. Unfortunately, the elector of Saxony, Wilhelm's brother-in-law, was not very keen on Henry VIII joining the Schmalkaldic League and put a moratorium on adding new members for a couple of years. Some of that was because Henry, although he did separate himself from the Roman Catholic Church, was more Catholic light, if you will, at this mm. time and not quite protestant so we don't re- my understanding is we don't really see the full commitment to Protest- protestantism until mm. his son edward vi becomes king absolutely so
1: sorry d- d- do we know then is this a Cromwell idea or is henry behind this idea because of course he like you say he's he, he isn't actually a protestant or a, a reformer at this point he he's yeah he like you say Catholic light so how would do we know why he what he would have felt about becoming part of this, this the how do you pronounce it the Schmaldic League? We'll call it the Protestant
0: League. <laughs> we'll call it the Protestant League. Okay? Um I well it because it would have counterbalanced the power of France and the Holy Roman Empire, it did look like a good idea, from okay. what I can tell. And interestingly Henry VIII had actually met Anna's father. So in the early 1520s, when Charles V went to England, in part to negotiate a marriage with Princess Mary, Anna's father was part of the train that went to England. So he did; they did meet each other. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was right around 1530. There's more about it in my new book which will come out next year, but in, well, probably in 2022. So in a few months, hopefully after this is broadcast, but (laughs) yeah. Anna's father had recommended Anna and Amalia to Henry as possible brides in 1530. So they knew in Germany that Henry was trying to get rid of Catherine of Aragon and needed a new wife nobody, I or at least Johan apparently didn't know about Anne Boleyn waiting in the wings. So he sent a little letter saying, Hey, maybe my daughters could marry you. You can marry one of them and you could marry, you could have your daughter marry my son. It'd be great. So um, I don't know who exactly wanted to put it forward at this point, but I'm sure Henry remembered these remembered meeting Johan and remembered mm-hmm. that letter from the 1530s. So Anna was not as random of a choice as I think she's been portrayed to be. Also, mm-hmm. we have to keep in mind that the United Duchies, even without Gelders, were an ex- they were the second most powerful territory within what we think of as Germany today, within the Holy Roman Empire. So this was not just some tiny dinky little country, like this was very, very important and very strong. Mm-hmm. So going back to the negotiations, they of course start in 1539, And Wilhelm is just ecstatic that the King of England wants to marry one of his sisters. And Cromwell thinks that this is a good idea. Just a a brief comment on religion. We have to remember that Wilhelm was never not a Catholic. As far as we know, Anna was a Catholic and it was really just her older and younger sisters that became
1: um, Lutherans. Any idea of Henry joining the, Protestant League was more a political than an ideological move. If it I was to happen, so.
0: yeah, I believe so. Right. I am not a historian of religion, but my book is more of a political legal history, and so from what I can tell, from a political perspective, yes, it was based on politics and not so much based on belief. Mm-hmm. Okay. So continuing on to 1539. In 1539. Cromwell and Wilhelm are starting to negotiate this marriage for Henry. And unfortunately, and conveniently, Charles V's wife dies on May 1st of 1539. Keep in mind that Wilhelm and Anna are vassals of the emperor. And so to an extent, he is allowed to be involved in marital negotiations, or at least if he does not want to give a blessing on a marriage, it will not go forward so she dies he becomes very very depressed he goes into mourning and effectively disappears for the summer of 1539 by the time he comes back out there the marital negotiations between Wilhelm and Henry are very far gone and I'm under the impression that Charles V did not want to alienate Henry and was interested in still playing nice with Duke Wilhelm in hopes that Wilhelm would give back Gelders so this is one of the marriage contracts. This one is written in Latin and we can see down here on signature and I have a bigger image of it, but that's on a signature there. And that's the Imperial notary signature there. And then various seals at the bottom. This is one of two documents known as the beer pot document, because there's a little beer Stein there with a the clover sticking out of it. The city, Heraldry for Cleves is a red shield with three gold clovers on it. So I assume that's why we have a little clover there. This is Anna's signature right here. So Anna, the born hereditary Duchess of Jülich, Cleves, and Berg. And recognizable by this, her handwriting, or her signature, um, she's consents to it, basically. And then this is the German version of the document. So Anna would have been able to read this. And again, we see her signature at the bottom here. There it is again on the German document. Mm. And we can see that the notary is also written in German on this edition of it. So those are the two beer pot documents. There it is blown up again, but there's her signature, Anna.
1: It's lovely to see her writing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there aren't too many letters of hers that still exist. Mm. This is the passport. So, Wilhelm and Henry had to secure a passport for Anna to go through Imperial territory on her way to England. And this is one of the ways that Charles V could have kind of messed with Wilhelm and Henry would have been by not granting the passport. But this is a passport that allowed Anna and her train to travel through the Low Countries. So, through the Netherlands and Belgium and then over to France and then on into England. If Wilhelm managed to have Henry VIII as a brother-in-law, the King of France as a brother-in-law, and Johann Friedrich, the four of them could then attack Charles V so that Wilhelm could keep Gelders. Hmm. Charles V really, really wanted Gelders, and by early 1540, things were becoming quite tense on the continent to the point where in early January of 1540, on his attendants that we're not going to be staying on in England left as soon as possible because it would becoming too dangerous for them to travel through imperial territory wow, so this is this is a
1: a, a powder keg
0: So yes. oh, absolutely it does take a while for the powder keg to to burst if you will, but it's they know it's coming mm. because Wilhelm is extremely bullheaded and arrogant and twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Charles V is, of course, he's a Holy Roman Emperor. He's incredibly powerful, and he is still trying to gently get Wilhelm to give back the Duchy of Gelders, and Wilhelm just won't do it. So he's negotiating for a French marriage behind Henry VIII's back while all this is simmering in the background, and the neat thing is if everything worked out the way Wilhelm had hoped it would, and perhaps this is a bit of foreshadowing, mm-hmm. I think that the map of central Europe in the 1540s would have looked a lot different. So eventually Henry VIII catches wind of this, mostly through his imperial ambassador, Sir Thomas Wyatt. Yes. The same one who was a poet and who was in love with Anne Boleyn. He is the ambassador to the imperial court and he's writing directly to Henry saying, Hey, Wilhelm's uh, he's making the emperor pretty mad over here and it's, it doesn't look good. And I have no way of knowing this for sure. And I think this would be a great research topic for someone who is not me. But I kind of wonder if Sir Thomas Wyatt just hated Cromwell because in the writings that I've seen from Wyatt to Cromwell during this time period, they are nowhere near as detailed. And I think they somewhat left Cromwell in the dark of how serious things were
1: with Wilhelm and the Emperor thank you for watching this video. I'd love to know what you thought about the topics discussed today so please let me know in the comments and if you enjoyed it give it the thumbs up, subscribe to the channel and hit the bell so you get notifications when a new video is uploaded.